This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. Okay, yes it is, Sportsbook. Welcome back. Thank you to our devoted listeners who have been following this podcast since August, and mostly we've been discussing NFL. Now the NFL is behind us, the Super Bowl is over, I didn't love the result, and we can move on to other sports like the Winter Olympics, which are going on right now, exciting stuff. I'd love to hear which of our listeners are watching the Olympics closely, and I personally didn't necessarily plan to watch so much of this Olympics, but I find myself tuning in more and more. Often it's spontaneous. You're on Twitter and you see people chatting about the Olympics or chatting about a big event, and you turn it on, or you head to your computer where you can stream some of these events, uh, often hours later. I think it's interesting the way that NBC and others on their websites have I believe, paid a fair attention to trying to avoid spoilers, knowing that people are often watching these events hours after they happen live. So we're mid-Olympics, and we've had a slew of exciting medal wins for U.S. athletes, which is great uh, for Team USA. And of course, on the sports business side, there is much to be discussed about the endorsement deals and sponsorship prospects and fame and awareness of some of these young athletes. You've got snowboarders like Chloe Kim, Uh, And you've got, of course, this young kid, Red Gerard, also 17, also a snowboarder. And they've got people really excited. Uh, People are are jazzed up. They're juiced up. And they've won gold medals. They're so young. Both of them have, I think, electric personalities. Uh, They're so young. They're not even millennials. I I think they're Gen Z. Uh, They make me feel old at 30. (laughs) So we wanted to bring in someone who can talk to us about these athletes about their prospects post-Olympics, about how big publicly traded companies, the companies that we cover at Yahoo Finance, go about choosing which athletes to sponsor and uh, how they invest their money and activate, as the industry term goes, these sponsorships, and how much they want to put behind an Olympic athlete when, once the Olympics are over, we might not hear so much from that person for another two or four years. And so the timing is perfect to bring in our friend, Thayer Laviel. She is an executive vice president at Wasserman. Hi, Thayer. Hi, how are you, Dan? Terrific. Thanks for joining the podcast today. A pleasure. So let's start this way. Uh, I mentioned Chloe Kim. We've got Red Gerard. Uh, Sean White won a gold, which is really cool. Sort of a totally separate kind of thing from those two, a, a veteran that everyone knows. Uh, let's start this way. You know, you have worked with a lot of uh, companies that do sports sponsorships, PepsiCo, Microsoft, Amex. Uh, now, not all of those are Olympic sponsors, but, you know, these are companies that frequently when there are big, major, national, and in the case of the Olympics, international sports events, they have to make decisions like how much money do we really want to invest in sponsoring a specific individual athlete. Uh, and without even necessarily getting into the Olympics specifically per se, I mean, I always think that One interesting story in the last few years is the shift we're seeing where occasionally sponsoring one athlete can be risky. You know, then they have some kind of negative story associated with them. Or if it's an NFL player, an NBA player, they just get injured and then they don't play for a year. And so I guess I'd ask macro wise, uh, if you think sort of the the thinking on endorsement deals and on sponsoring one athlete has changed over the last few years for for brands like this. I think it's it's changed, but it's it's migrated into a different territory. I think as the dollars between advertising and straight sponsorships really begin to blur, athletes become, and talent just overall, become a more interesting game because the the relationship doesn't have to be so long-term. You don't have to commit 
to a three-year personal services agreement with all sorts of bells and whistles anymore. You can mm. just do a $100,000 content deal for one particular you know, product launch or one particular time frame. So the rules have certainly changed in, in how brands are going about marketing themselves with talent. That's really interesting because especially with regards to, I mentioned the NFL or NBA or, you know, uh, sports like that that have a long season, I do think typically, especially if it's a sports-related brand, like a, a sneaker brand, you see these long, long-term deals. But to bring it to the Olympics, that's probably a venue in which it makes sense to do something just for maybe even a few months. Uh, what kind of deals do you see in, in terms of the Olympics? It's short-term, I guess. Um, they are cyclical, for sure. I mean, they go on the quad. So when our, we have a lot of Olympic athletes at Wasserman, we're um, fortunate enough to have also some soccer athletes that are able to you know, play in the World Cup and their quad as well. So these things do go on cycles. But what the goal is for the athlete, and there are some that are better than others um, at this, is for them to continue to grow their own social awareness so that they're continuously relevant. The, the cool part about somebody like Chloe Kim is that she's absolute delightful 17 year old who's funny to follow anyway right. and then all of a sudden she goes out and just crushes it so it's she is a hero because she's crushing it and she's crushing it for the u.s but on the other hand she's completely approachable and normal because she's talking about how she's hangry so <laughs> right. it's a different it's just a different world today yeah chloe kim is a, a really compelling example uh, she's also got this great story she's korean-american uh, her dad, sort of according to her background story, quit his job at some point to focus on helping her follow her snowboarding dreams full time. That little bit of a story was told in a Super Bowl ad uh, promoting the Olympics. And I think that ad got a lot of positive attention. You know, I saw headlines like uh, the, the ad with Chloe Kim and her dad will make you ugly cry. That was kind of funny. Uh, and I agree, it was, it was just a, a moving spot. And so when you look at her list of sponsors, it's this big star-studded list. She's working with Nike, Toyota, Mondelez, Samsung, Visa. And so keeping it on, on the theme of sort of short-term versus long-term sponsorship deals, I mean, with someone like her, because she has that great story, because she already has this sort of organic personal brand, do you see companies like this continuing to promote her, do advertising with her long past this Olympics? I do. I think it, it takes a unique personality to do it, um, but she is a bright light that, that could carry that torch. I think it's also how they're using her. It has to be authentic to who she is. So they can't all of a sudden place her, you know, mountain biking if she's not a mountain biker or surfing if she's not a surfer or, you know, she already, for Toyota, for example, she so authentically posts about Anytime there is a car in her car in the picture, she posts about Toyota <laughs> and tags them. So it's, you know, she's she's great at it. And for that, I think there's brand loyalty from Toyota towards her uh, because she's now reaching more and more followers. But I also think that, you know, there is there are some athletes where they need to capitalize on it quick because right. it's not going to be there forever just because their personality might not take them the long haul. And that's where ultimately you know, they, it's upon the individual and, and their help to be able to grow their, their business, either individually as a brand, as their own brand or collectively. And that's where I think social posts and things like that become more interesting. Yeah. And on the flip side of the, the long lasting appeal, in some cases, it might not even be that the personality does the, the personality doesn't last, but just that the athlete isn't back in four years. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned Red Gerard. He's also 17 from Ohio. He won a gold medal. 
But there's a, a great Wall Street Journal story today that's pointing out that he basically seemed uh, eager to just get back home and do other things than the Olympics, um, which, of course, adds to the appeal. Like, he's so flippant about it. But, you know, a lot of these guys, they're not necessarily making that much money from being in the Olympics. You know, they those who are on the team and don't have so many endorsement deals, of course, he has some sponsorships, too. But, you know, you don't always necessarily see every Olympic athlete that does well all the time for the next 10 years. In some cases, they go off and do something else or or even... Uh, you know, you look at an Olympic athlete like Ashley White, who was in a bunch of ads and, and TV spots and then didn't make uh, this Olympics. So what happens, uh, Ashley Wagner, I should say. Now, now, what happens in that case? I, I mean, there's sort of the risk that we don't see the athlete again in the near future. Well, that's right. And that's where the risk is on the brand to say, am I going with the right person? Um, and how do I do this so that I'm, you know, protecting my brand and the, and the product that that person's attached to and also being able to approach this more like a portfolio where I'm able to still be involved in the Olympics or still be involved in the space in a way that might not feel like, oh, my, my basket of eggs just fell over. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a challenge. I think you look at, I, I do feel like we're a little bit in the passing of the torch right now. You know, hmm. we, we came up through the ranks with Lindsey Vaughn and Sean White. Right. And, you know, there are, this might be both of their last Olympics. Most probably. And so all of a sudden we have these new superstars that are really young, really interesting, really of the moment in every single way. They are Gen Z. They are social media driven, born, raised, native in every single way. And they're also really good at what they do. And, you know, until uh, winter sports are and action sports are on television the same way that NFL or baseball or basketball are, we're only going to see these guys at highlight. Uh, events like the Olympics or X Games, etc. So um, I do think that for a brand, though, there is longevity to it because there are enough of these events throughout the year and, th- and throughout the world that it makes sense for a brand. It just might, might not be to the average person all the time. And now to bring up just sort of one other type of example of Olympic athlete, I think sometimes you end up not seeing someone in that many places anymore. And it's not even anything other than to do with sort of age, or, or maybe it's just, maybe it speaks more to the Olympics versus other sports. But I often think of Usain Bolt. I mean, Usain Bolt was everywhere in the world for many years. Certainly everyone knows who he is. For a while, he was the face of Puma. But then, you know, when you're not competing on that international stage for a while, you just sort of fade a little bit from collective consciousness. Yes, I think, you know, Usain Bolt is is a Phenom in and of himself, just his athletic ability is incredible. Um, I think that he, his, uh, you know, he went around the world doing what he does best. And how do you capitalize on that as an as an individual and as a brand? Um, I'm not sure that that he was the most successful at that. Right. It's not so obvious always necessarily. It's like you can have it's someone not, who's the best athlete so in their sport, but uh, it's not necessarily so obvious how to market them. That's right, and I also think it it depends on the thrill of the sport. Um, you know, to be and he was by far and away the fastest man for years. Nobody nobody could get him. So after a while, it's like, okay, well, is there any competition to this? So right. there's got to be some sense of of urgency in the story for him to continue to compete for the for there to be continued interest. Otherwise, it's just you know, unfortunately, like my beloved Patriots, it's like, oh, there they are again. Right, exactly. My my team too. You know, Usain Bolt story. Yeah, let's. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned the Patriots. I mean, I'm eager to look comparatively. I mean, we could sort of spread it across all live sports, but 
if you think of an event like the Super Bowl or if you even just think of the NFL regular season, uh, we hear all the time and every year we, we talk to people, including you know people at Wasserman about this, but that the Super Bowl is still the primo event, the flagship, most exciting, most appealing uh, advertising opportunity to big brands like the ones that you guys work with. Even as for the last two regular seasons, we've seen a ratings decline for the NFL. Now, we've also seen a ratings decline for other live sports, NASCAR, and actually this Olympics, uh, on average, is down just slightly in terms of viewership. Monday night of this week was really big and brought it back, but uh, the opening ceremony viewership was down. And, and so, you know, in my opinion, it, we're seeing a macro trend, and it's just that eyeballs for all live sports are down. But I guess I'd ask, you know, you would maybe think that the Olympics would be the ultimate because it's an international global stage. But uh, is that an interesting comparison for athlete marketability purposes, something like the Super Bowl versus the Olympics? I think there there are similarities, but there are also they're very different events. Um, the Super Bowl is the pinnacle of you know two beloved teams with their fans from all over the country, really, because who lives near their fan base anymore, uh, like their team anymore? You know, coming together to root them on, and and then those that aren't really rooting for the team can still have a great time just watching either the game or the commercials, which are supposed to be out of this world. So it's meant to be high entertainment. The Olympics are ongoing over, you know, two uh, two weeks, and they are oftentimes tape delayed, and they are oftentimes right. uh, through. I think, depending on where you are in the world, the stories are pertaining only to your, you know, your interests, your country's interests, really, and so they're very different. So if you're um, trying to, you know, make it as a, you know, fantastic, I'm going to make this up, Korean, South Korean figure skater. Yeah. Uh, well, you're going to be really focused within the, you know, South Korean market, even though you might train in Colorado Springs all year long. So there's a lot of the, the globalism all of a sudden gets, gets more to a regional and nationalistic point of view, which is fantastic. Um, but it, it's not the same type of event as the Super Bowl because the fans are more tribal, I think, and mm. where the Olympics are asking you to be more globally driven. Yeah, and, the, and for football, you're day in and day out, week in and week out, I should say, paying attention to your team. You're following, your, you're doing your fantasy draft, you're doing your fantasy league, you're watching player by player, like you're in it. If you're into football, you're into it. On the Olympics, it comes around four years and it's like, oh, right, here we are. This is awesome. We're going to get we're going to get totally hyped up for this party again. And I can't wait. And all of a sudden, Lindsey Vaughn is, you know, not in this Olympics or she's in this Olympics or Sean White's, you know, is he going to is he going to place or not? And he did. He crushed it this week. And that's right. amazing. Now, who are these new guys? So there's like you have the media has to tell a different type of story. And so those standout athletes really have to be standout athletes on all levels today. Yeah, and then in addition, I mean, in terms of ratings, there's the question of, you know, the NFL sort of reaches a certain demographic, and there's a lot of talk out there and hype over whether that demographic is changing or fading or whether it's losing uh, its core audience. Whereas the Olympics, I mean, it, it cuts across probably demographically a much broader, more diverse uh, slice of America. But I mean, as we know, it, it's only for two weeks. So that, that's a trade-off that I imagine brands think about. It's like, who do you want to reach? I, oh, I definitely think so. I also think let's not uh, forget about the Generation Z that's coming up through the pike here, you know, there uh, or the pipe here. There, you know, I think it's something like 45% of them, percent of them never actually watch a full game. 
They only watch highlights on either Snapchat or Instagram or wherever they're finding Twitter. They're finding their sports fix in shorter in shorter bites. So it's just not the same way. It's not the same consumption habits. So ratings may very well continue to decline in the traditional sense, but they are being reached in other ways. Their fandom is being applied just in a in a more grassroots and socially driven manner. Yeah. Uh, you know, Thayer, I noticed in your background that you had worked on uh, the Dale Earnhardt Jr. brand and kind of uh, building yeah. up his profile. And it's a really interesting case and example where, you know, someone who for so long, you know, such longevity for so many years was the face of the sport. I mean, no question. And was just, it, it seemed to me like branding gold for sponsors. Uh, but of course, as we were discussing, there's always the risks nowadays. And I, I think companies in general, even more than just five years ago, are, are more hesitant to tie their name directly to one human being. Uh, you know, obviously there are exceptions, but is that, you know, in terms of that time and working on, on Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s brand, is that something that you see playing out now? Is, is you know, maybe, maybe the days of someone even getting to that point where they are so flooded on, on TV, you know, and you see them in so many ads. I mean, Peyton Manning is another example. Maybe those days are ending. Maybe, or maybe they're ending for a time. I mean, who knows? I, I have a feeling we'll see Chloe Kim in a lot of places coming up. Right. Um, and that might be for a time. You know, Peyton, Peyton Manning is an icon of his sport, well-deserved in terms of his performance on the field. And he happens to have a great personality and is able to be funny and, and pull it off in commercials. So I think that helps. He's also intelligent and comes off as the guy next door. Dale Jr. is, you know, was born into his role in many ways. Um, right. And when his when his father died, he was had legions of his father's fans that bestowed, you know, their fandom upon him. And he didn't ask for it. And candidly, I don't think he knew quite what to do with it at <laughs> first and felt a huge sense of obligation and stepped very lightly into those shoes and grew into them over time. And that was kind of neat to watch and has been really great to see him really evolve into who he is today to be very self-assured and very confident in who he is. And that I think comes across and, and that's why brands really want to stick with, um, with athletes like him and, and Peyton Manning, because they are, you know, the stand up guy that you're like, yep, that's, that's the guy. That's my guy. Lest I remind you, when he was, you know, 22 and driving in the car, everyone thought he was a total bad boy. <laughs> right. That's funny how it changes over time. It was the right. perfect fit for the Bud brand at the time. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. You go You go from Budweiser to uh, Wrangler jeans once you're the, the yeah. dad image. Yeah, they, he's been a Wrangler guy for a long time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, so I have to say it, and I'm always skeptical about advertising in general, and I try not to you know, be a sucker for ads, uh, so to speak. But during this Olympics already so far, I have found myself sort of almost embarrassingly uh, emotionally moved by so many of these ads. And maybe it's, you know, some kind of patriotism thing or, you know, maybe it's obviously very deliberate. A lot of these ads are, are showing us either uh, there have been a lot of ads about Olympians who were also in the military or a lot of people with uh, injuries or disabilities. And I just think the advertising has been very good. I've also noticed a big, big theme of technology. A lot of the ads we're seeing during this Winter Games are all about either AI or VR or AR. Uh, let's see how many acronyms I can throw in there. But um, 
Do you have any thought on, on sort of the ads we've seen so far? Do any stick out to you, impress you the most? Is there anything you've seen marketing choice-wise that has surprised you? You know, I, it's funny you say that about the Olympics because I also felt that about the Super Bowl ads. They were very um, culturally relevant, and they were very much about connecting as humans and about finding middle ground and seeing the humanity in each other, and I find the same with the Olympic ads. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of culturally relevant reasons for that today. I think some of the ones that I that I really have enjoyed, some of the Samsung work I think that's come out, you know, has been really interesting. I think obviously Visa is always does does really interesting work. I can't remember off the top of my head, Dan, but I just I think that it's because people want the ability to connect on a human level. And I think as it pertains to technology, A, it's where people are, and B, it's where people dream. And to be able to uh, sit in a time that's quite uncertain on a lot of levels for a lot of people, to be able to look at how to escape that is kind of an interesting thing. So I think that's you know, not a bad thing to market right now. Uh, let's end this way. You know, When we talk about endorsement deals in the Olympics, I think that a lot of people may not realize, and of course there are probably exceptions at the very, very upper level, but even for the names that we're hearing a lot about right now, the money is just so much smaller for these athletes, at least at the beginning, for Olympic endorsement deals. I mean, you know, you hear numbers when we talk about athletes like Tiger Woods or LeBron James or Peyton, you hear that a certain deal, often like a sneaker deal, is, you know, $10 million a year or something like that. But I think a lot of the sponsors and endorsements that Olympic athletes get, I mean, many of them are really just free equipment deals in some cases. Or obviously, if they're using you in an ad, that's different. But am I right to say, I think in most cases, even with the Chloe Kims and, and these big faces, we're talking about contracts in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, not the millions? I would say generally. I think, um, I think that's generally true. I believe that there are there is a disparity certainly between men's and women's mm. to this day uh, in terms of the size of contracts despite the you know same same work ethic and results on many cases um that's just the fact of the matter i also think that yeah it's it's, it's cyclical and what the market will bear for that particular niche of a sport or that the, or the breadth of the sport. So somebody like Tiger Woods, you know, came in as a phenom at a very young age into a sport that was on fire at the time, and there was right. nothing but upside for him. You know, it's and, and nobody's more thrilled to see some of these action sports join the Olympic events because uh, come in as Olympic events because these guys are real athletes and they and, and women they work very very hard at their craft and they should be paid more. They should be paid uh, a fair a fair game. Now what? who's the audience on the other side is I think where, what drives the value of the hmm. sponsorship ultimately, how much are you, what's the, what's the demand for the supply? Right. Yeah. That, that gender disparity is so interesting and unfortunate. And actually we were talking about that very fact with uh, a former member of the women's U S national soccer team about a year ago here at Yahoo yeah. finance, uh, Kate Dynas. And it's yeah. true that it's unfortunate and you sort of wonder when is it going to change? But then the retort that a lot of people make, although often it's sort of in a trolling manner, is, well, the, the men's version of the sport gets more eyeballs. But, you know, you can't really apply that to the Olympics. So I, I wonder if soon we'll see that change, at least for Olympic athletes, do you think? I hope so. I certainly hope so, because it's not like the women are, you know, working any, any less hard or 
or perform, performing or getting less results. So I certainly hope that that's the case. I do think in this day and age, marketers are becoming just more aware of the totality of the, you know, or the equality that, that women can bring. And you look at somebody like Chloe Kim, who's such a bright future ahead of her and um, who really is a marketer's dream on many, many levels. You know, she, she warrants, she warrants it all. Go get it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I would say. Go get it. Well, we'll keep watching all these Americans and we'll see them in ads and we'll see what kind of sponsorships they end up with and we'll check back in on them in a couple of years. It'll be really interesting. Thanks so much there. It's a pleasure, Dan. All right, that was Thayer Laviel of Wasserman. Uh, always interesting to talk to these executives from Wasserman who do a lot with uh, sports endorsement contracts and work with athletes and work with brands behind the scenes. It's so funny because I, I've been saying this for a number of years, even back before I was with Yahoo, I was with Fortune, and we did a lot of coverage about athlete endorsement deals. Uh, of course, Forbes does a athlete earnings list. But one thing that I think uh, readers always need to keep in mind, and I'm always beating this drum, but when you see dollar signs applied to these deals uh, in the media, they are so often so wildly ballparked, so estimated, because very few people actually know the values. Uh, you know, you'll read just crazy numbers about, oh, ex-athlete is being paid this much money by a brand, and usually they're way off. Now, in some cases, they aren't, and the numbers are eye-popping, and, and that brand took a major, major bet on someone, and often those bets don't pay off. They are risky, and I think that's why the structure is changing and why brands are less often signing athletes to 10, 15, 20-year contracts. Uh, just recently, in fact, I think it was a week ago, SI managed to obtain a copy of Derek Rose's Adidas endorsement contract. And the numbers in there are just crazy. Uh, it includes hundreds of thousands of dollars paid per year to Derek Rose's brother and best friend as part of the contract. Uh, I tweeted that out, and, and that got a lot of response from people. I mean, you know, people said, hey, good for Derek Rose that he arranged this contract. But I, I just think you're going to see that change, especially because, God forbid, your, your brand, especially if you're a small company, maybe you're like an independent beef jerky company. Uh, a lot of sports endorsement contracts are often for beef jerky or energy drinks. You sign one athlete to a big deal and you say, OK, we're going to make this guy or this woman the face of our brand. And then the person gets arrested or gets a DUI or they get injured, which isn't necessarily their fault. And they're out for the whole season and they just don't play. I mean, in Derek Rose's case, he missed you know, more than two full seasons in the NBA. And so that was a, a mega loss for Adidas. And it wasn't anyone's fault. It wasn't Adidas's fault. It wasn't Derek Rose's. But he is still being paid a ton of money by Adidas. So you'll see that change. And the Olympics provides, of course, a really interesting case study in an exception to that. I mean, for two weeks, you know, or you hope, that the athlete that you are sponsoring is going to get a lot of attention and a lot of eyeballs. And for those big brands that are working with, Chloe Kim, Red Gerard, Lindsey Vaughn, we think, for those brands, it is paying off, and they are getting the exposure that they spent for. And again, uh, we asked our, our guest about how much money we're talking about, and you know, uh, these guests and, and marketing execs are always hesitant to, to slap a dollar figure on these deals, but they are likely for much lower than the types of endorsement deals that NFL or NBA or baseball players get. And maybe that's not fair. Uh, and also, it was really interesting to hear Thayer bring up the gender disparity. That's unfortunate, too. And we hope that uh, with the current news cycle going on and the current movement in terms of uh, gender equality, especially in the workplace, maybe we'll see that finally change. 
So good guess, good topic. Uh, I want to hear how much you guys are actually watching this Olympics. That's sort of a, a topic for a separate podcast, but whether the Olympics are still as exciting as they always were, whether they are still as much of a cultural event when you have so many distractions. You have Netflix and Amazon, and you know tonight you could watch the Olympics and watch Luge, or you could just watch a, a Netflix series. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, are choosing other streaming original content over live sports. So that's going to be the biggest story in sports business over the next five years, absolutely, is eyeballs and viewership and cable and cord cutting. So thanks for listening, and remember always to rate, review, and subscribe to the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. We're going to keep going all year, and we're on every Thursday morning, so stick with us as we cover all things sports and money. Goodbye. Goodbye.